Those of us remaining in here this morning, you can turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7 if you have one. If not, you can look in the bulletin. You see our text printed there. Um, as we mentioned at the start of the service, uh, the four weeks um, leading up to Christmas, according to the historic church calendar, are considered the weeks of Advent. And that word Advent, it just means coming or arrival. And so historically, it's a time when the church does two things. One, looks back to remember the birth of Christ, His first coming. So we're remembering during this time. We're also looking forward to His second coming, the promised hope that He will come again. And so during this Advent season, we're going to take a break from our Following the Way series in the Sermon on the Mount and spend some time uh, with the prophet Isaiah, which is a book in the Old Testament. And Isaiah is a book that is all about God's grace to rebellious people. Isaiah is all about God's grace to rebellious people. And as a side note, that's really what the whole Bible is about. God's grace to rebellious people. But there are some books in particular within the Bible that really capture and highlight this theme. Isaiah is one of those. And it really gets worked out in Isaiah through these visions and these prophecies about this future coming Messiah that would come and rescue God's people and make all the broken things in our world new again. And in Isaiah, it wasn't just that times were hard for God's people. They they were, and there there were real nations around God's people at this time that were coming after them, physically, violently trying to come after God's people. Um, But also within themselves, they were not living like they should. They were disobeying God. Uh, They were living however they wanted. They were just going through the motions of religious life during Isaiah's time. So if you zoom out, in many ways, we can relate to what was happening in Isaiah's time. Uh, It was a hard time culturally to be a Christian. right? We can relate to that. And yet, also, if we are honest, our lives are really messy and really inconsistent. And sometimes it feels like we are just going through the motions, doing religious things, and our hearts are not really engaged. And if you think about that, it can sort of seem like a gloomy picture of the church. Um, But in the midst of all of this, God still pursues His people with grace and mercy. And we're jumping into Isaiah chapter 7 this morning. In this passage, we'll see King Ahaz, who was the king over Judah, which was the southern kingdom of God's people. So the kingdom divided into two different kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was called Israel after this. And there was a southern kingdom, which is referred to as Judah. So King Ahaz is king over Judah, the southern kingdom. And um, King Ahaz is facing a spiritual crisis and a leadership crisis. He's faced with a crisis of what he should do when enemies of God's people are threatening to overtake them. Remember, internally, God's people were rebelling. They were not living faithfully. And there were these real external threats of other nations taking them over. What should King Ahaz do? This is Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And um, there's a lot of different names and geography that's, that's in here. Don't let that distract you from what's happening. Maybe even if you're reading this and you have a pen or pencil in hand, Maybe just kind of underline a verse or two that we read that, that stands out to you. Uh, but don't, don't lose sight of what this passage is saying because of these different names that are listed here. So again, Isaiah uh, chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Razan the king of Syria, and Pekah the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. 
but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria." The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. And we need you now to help us to understand it, God. We, we long to be transformed. We long to be different than we were when we walked in the room this morning. And we believe that, you're, that your word is actually living and active, that it does something to us when we come to it. And so by your Holy Spirit, would you work in us this morning. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so I recently read a book that was a fiction novel about this um, group of friends um, that all originally met as high schoolers on their speech and debate team back in the day. And this speech and debate team actually had a lot of success when they were competing. And um, the coach of this team uh, uh, is a teacher at this high school, and he does a really good job coaching them. Obviously, they have a lot of su success. But um, one of the things that you find out is that when the kids were one-on-one -on -one with this teacher, he said very mean and very traumatizing things to each of them. And as these kids experience this, they think that they're the only ones who are being told these very mean and traumatizing things. And the book fast-forwards, it goes later in life when these high schoolers are now in their 40s, and four of these students who were on the speech and debate team get reconnected because something happens to one of their classmates, and they start talking about their experience on the speech and debate team, and they start to realize, wait a minute, he said those things to you? He said those things to you? They realized they weren't alone in hearing those mean and traumatizing things. So they hatch this plan. They trap down their old teacher who is now retired. They get in the car and they travel to go confront him 
for the harsh words that he has spoken to them. And um, the book just builds and builds towards this confrontation. And you see each of these four students who are now adults very, very nervous about confronting their teacher for these hard things that he said to them. But sure enough, um, they pull up to his house and they're, they're, the conversation does not go how they expect. There's all these twists and turns. But they do the hard thing. They have the hard conversation. They tell him what was not right about those words that were spoken to him those many years before. But for over 20 years, these students felt all alone as they tried to process this hard thing that had happened to them, these hard words that had been spoken to them. But as soon as they realized they were not alone in it, suddenly they began to find a way to move forward. And at the end of the book, one of the characters is asked if she was glad that they confronted their teacher. And she said that she thought she was, that she was glad she did it, but she said one thing's for sure, I would never have done it if I would have been all alone. I could only do it because you guys were with me. It is so hard to go through a difficult thing on your own. Um, But the second that someone shows up just to be with you during that hard thing, something doesn't feel so impossible anymore. Um, You know, sometimes when someone we love is going through a hard time, we just don't really know what to say, and we can feel sort of paralyzed in that because in the back of our minds, we're convinced that, that this person getting through this hard thing hinges on us saying the right thing, that if we can just comfort them in the right way or share the right scripture or encourage them in the right way, that will fix the problem they're going through. That, that, that's what they really need from us. But if you've been in, ever been in a hard situation like that, you know that it's not the words that you need. You need someone just to be with you. It's the presence of someone being with you that you need in that hard time. Um, did you hear in our passage the famous Christmas promise of Isaiah 7:14 that the virgin will bear his son and call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of the key promises of Advent. That we are not alone in the difficulty of this world and our sin, but that God came to be with us. That's the promise, yet we often don't experience God as being with us. He feels distant. We feel distracted. We feel lonely. And this is the need in which our passage meets us this morning. Three headings I want to think about this passage. First, why we need God with us. Secondly, why we really need God with us. And third, how to get God with us. So first, why we need God with us. And you see this right away in our passage. We need God with us because external threats are real. All right, what was going on in our passage? Uh, This northern kingdom Israel had formed an alliance with Syria and together these two nations were essentially trying to overtake Judah of which King Ahaz was king over it and they were trying to overtake them, overpower them to get them to also to align with these two nations so that they could go do battle against the Assyrians which were a common enemy of God's people. Essentially it was a power move, these two nations trying to overtake Judah. And it was a major external threat that forced King Ahaz into this crisis of what do I do? And this was especially mind-boggling for him because the throne of Judah was a part of this line of David. Um, God promised back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that whatever happens, there will be a king from the line of David on the throne of his people forever. He promised that to be the case. And so now King Ahaz is considering his options and thinking, well, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to be the case here. It seems like that's in jeopardy. 
And so he's stuck trying to figure out, what do I do with Israel and Syria, while also wondering, hey, can I still trust God and his promise to keep uh, one from the line of David on this throne? And the text tells us that he was scared. Look at verse 2. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Here's the heart level tension of our passage. When we are facing scary problems that are outside of our control, can we still trust God? Because external threats are real. Uh, There's a book called The Only Plane in the Sky, which was written by an author named Garrett Graff, uh, that's an oral history uh, on the attacks on the World Trade Towers on 9-11. And he just did massive amounts of research and he pieced together um, like audio clips and written dialogue, uh, first-hand accounts. It's all primary source, first-hand accounts of just before the attacks on the towers and then up to a few days afterwards. And um, he gathered dialogue from, like, from workers in the World Trade Centers, from first responders, from political officials, from family members and friends who lost loved ones in the uh, collapse of the towers. And then he takes all that, 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 um, those primary sources and he puts it all together chronologically. And he does not add in any extra commentary or narration or any of that. All these quotes from different people stand alone and they piece together this unbelievable account of the attacks. And it's a very emotional book to read um, because um, what you read is all different types of people trying to make sense out of this crazy, unbelievable external threat that just happened. I mean, this was the, the, the most overwhelming, one of the scariest things that essentially a whole generation had ever seen and has to deal with and try to make sense out of. I mean, if you were old enough to remember 9-11, you, you probably remember every single detail from that day. Um, 9-11 was this real external threat that felt so scary and made things feel so unstable. And this book, it recounts all kinds of people trying to make sense out of it and process it and think about what do I do with this real external threat that just happened? Um, King Ahaz in our passage had real external threats. Nations bearing down, threatening to kill and to capture his people. What about us? What are our external threats that we face? And maybe even aside from bigger catastrophic things like 9-11, what what types of external threats do we face on a regular basis? Uh, These would be things outside of our control that put us in a hard spot. It might be something like an unexpected job loss, where just out of the blue we're, we're told that this is the end and Suddenly we're just trying to get on our feet and recalibrate in our minds how the next few months and and years are going to look for us professionally because our job has suddenly gone away. might be something like an unexpected health diagnosis where we go in for a regular checkup and something much more serious is is communicated to us. Uh, Just this week I was reading a a Caring Bridge journal uh, of a woman that we knew back in Kentucky uh, who was diagnosed with ALS in 2020. And she very faithfully and beautifully chronicled the last three years of her life uh, uh, through this CaringBridge journal. And um, it, was, it was heartbreaking to read um, about her life literally from the day of her diagnosis, which she captures on there, all the way up to the very last week that she was alive. And, um, but th- this was a situation where for her it, it was this unexpected health diagnosis that completely changed everything. External threat outside of her control. 
Maybe another example could just be a really hard relationship with a family member or friend where you feel like you're doing everything you can to try to make this thing work or fix this thing or reconcile this thing, but it doesn't feel like that's happening on the other side. It feels like you just can't control what's happening. Um, Our external threats are things that we cannot control, and we do not like feeling out of control, especially when it has bad or negative implications for us. How do you respond when bad, scary things happen to you over which you have no control? That's what King Ahaz was dealing with, and this is why we need God with us. That's the first point. Next, let's look at how King Ahaz responds. And this is the second point, why we really need God with us. Here's why we really need God with us. It's because we trust in the wrong thing. Um, This is baked into our DNA, actually, from the very beginning. Uh, Lindsay read our Advent reading this morning from Genesis 3. That's just three chapters into the Bible, and it's the source of our biggest problem in life, which is our rebellion against God. Um, What did Adam and Eve want in the garden? They wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. They wanted to trust in themselves rather than to trust in God. Trusting in the wrong thing has been our problem from the beginning. And we see that in our passage. When facing this crisis, what does Ahaz do? Maybe the first question we should ask is, what does God offer him even before that? Verse 4, through Isaiah the prophet to Ahaz, God tells him, this is amazing. God speaking to him says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. Remember how he was shaking with fear? God speaks directly into that through a prophet telling him to calm down, I've got you. Wouldn't that be amazing to hear God speak to you like that? That's what he does here. What's he saying? God's saying that even though this seems really scary, it seems impossible, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm trustworthy and I always do what I say I'm going to do. He's saying, trust me, it's going to be okay. I've never been skydiving before. I do not have plans to ever go skydiving, but I can imagine a situation where uh, you're tandem jumping. I get the impression that you typically, if it's your first jump, you're, you're strapped to someone, you're doing the tandem jump thing, and the plane's up in the air, you reach the right altitude, and, and the doors open, and you, it, this is like the moment, right, where you're standing at the edge of the plane, you're looking, you know, tens of thousands of feet down or however high you go up to jump out of a plane, and, you know, and, and you're just standing there, and you're just, you're thinking, okay, like, I don't think I want to jump. This is a bad idea. What am I doing up here? And you're, and you're just having that like, total flip-out moment where, where you immediately regret this decision to go skydiving. But then you've got this pro strapped to your back who's like, and they're just like, just jump. You'll be fine. I've done this like five times already today. I do this all the time. It's going to be great. You're going to be fine. But it's this moment of like, I am in a tough situation and I'm having to face my fears and do I choose to trust this pro behind me or not? Um, Ahaz is scared in, this, in a life-threatening sort of way. Facing his fears, and God is telling him, trust me. God gives him even more. Verse 7, he says, this whole thing you're worried about, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. God is telling him in advance, hey, this thing isn't going to happen. It's not going to last. Don't cave to this pressure from these other nations. Verse 9, he says, be firm in your faith. Right now, when, when it feels impossible, maybe even silly to trust me, trust me. I've got you. Verse 11, God says, I'll even give you a sign. A big sign to prove that I'm trustworthy. God does all this, but what does King Ahaz do in his crisis? 
2 Kings 16 tells us, you can jot that down in your notes, 2 Kings 16, you can look at that later on, but let me just read it for you. It tells us exactly what happens here. It says, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileazar, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Raisin. What did he do? What did Ahaz do? Instead of trusting in the Lord, he entrusts himself to Assyria. He gives allegiance to them. He gives money to them from God's temple. And the king of Assyria comes and takes care of his enemies, at least in the short term. That would ultimately come back to bite him. But he trusted in the wrong thing. God says, trust me even when you can't see how this is going to work out. But Ahaz sees this real, tangible, immediate, earthly help. And he chooses that way instead of God's way. Uh, In the Christmas movie Elf, uh, Walter Hobbs, who's the father of Buddy the Elf, he works in this pressure cooker uh, publishing firm in New York City. And, you know, so the, you, you know this, you've seen it in the movie. Uh, it's sort of set against this backdrop of Walter trying to get a new children's book ready to go uh, to print. And his boss tells him that he wants the rough draft. They're going to have this meeting on Christmas Eve. Just this ruthless, ruthless boss. And so Walter and his writing team are just desperate to come up with ideas uh, for this new children's book. They need concepts. To, and, and, and so then they think, all right. Um, they think about this famous children's author, Miles Finch. So they say, here's our, here's our big plan. We're going to bring in Miles Finch. So they bring in Miles Finch. And as soon as Miles walks in, you're like, this isn't going to work. This is a bad idea. The whole vibe is off. You can feel it immediately. And, uh, of course, the plan blows up. Miles gets incredibly offended. He storms out, doesn't produce any work for them. And, 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 and you could just feel that they put their trust in the wrong thing. That was a really bad idea to entrust themselves to Miles Finch. And as the movie goes on, you see what happened where everything with the elf happens and it gives them this new motivation, this new concept for the children's book. So it kind of solves itself. But it was all misplaced trust in Miles Finch. Um, Ahaz trusting in Assyria was the wrong thing to do. It was misplaced trust. And we misplace our trust all the time. Think about your own life. Think uh, think back to those external threats that we were talking about that we all face, things that feel outside of our control. How do you respond when you are faced with something bad that is outside of your control? We often try to just save ourselves by any human means necessary. And one common way is by seeking more human knowledge. Um, We become experts in the field of the problem we're facing, whether it's health-related, finance-related, relationship-related. Related. We think if rescue will come if we can just get more human knowledge around this issue. If, if we can just know enough about it, we can fix it and we can control it. So we put our trust in human knowledge. Or maybe it's more human resources. Um, we face a problem that feels out of our control. We engage our networks. We use our resources to fix the problem or abate the problem, whether it's related to job loss or a parenting issue. And of course... You know, seeking more knowledge or using resources in the face of problems, of course that's not a bad idea and it's not ultimately the issue, but it does become problematic when we trust in knowledge or resources rather than trusting in God. 
Ahaz trusted in this pagan, foreign, military power rather than trusting in God's promises. And this is why we really need God with us. And if this is the case, that we don't just need God with us, but we really need God with us, how do we get God with us? Um, God offers this sign to Ahaz through Isaiah, and Ahaz refuses. So verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. He's basically saying, okay, I know you're rejecting this idea of getting a sign from me, but I'm going to give you a sign anyways. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So again, Ahaz had forsaken the Lord, chosen human measures to try and save himself, but it ends up that this alliance forming uh, did not succeed. Syria fell in 732. Israel fell in 722. His pact with Assyria was a disaster. And God had already told him that this would be the case. And in verses 14 and 17, there, it's an, an interesting passage after that verse 14. There are varying uh, opinions from commentators about whether those verses 17 through, uh, sorry, 15 through 17 are only speaking about Jesus as the coming Messiah, or was there some sort of dual fulfillment where, where the son of Isaiah or maybe one of the later kings like King Hezekiah would be a partial fulfillment of this prophecy? People are split on that, but either way we know that what's being promised in 714 of Isaiah is that Jesus is going to come and be our Emmanuel, our God with us, because Matthew himself quotes this very passage in Matthew 1.23 in his gospel. And verse 14 is a key Advent verse. It's on a lot of Christmas cards. We sung it this morning. What is it saying to us? This verse is saying is that, e- that even when Ahaz, king of God's chosen people, is so stubborn and so hard-hearted and would rather trust in other people than in God, even in the face of direct rebellion... And there is judgment for his turning away from God and trusting in himself. But there is also grace that God would still be good and still be gracious to his people by maintaining this Davidic line of kings and actually send his own son to dwell with his people. What we see here is a picture of how gracious God is to stubborn people who should know better. And and if you're here this morning and you feel like it's hard for you to trust God and your default is to just trust in earthly things, then this is really good news because it tells you just how committed God is to you that even when we reject Him and put our trust in something else, He still comes after us to show us grace that we do not deserve. It's sort of like an angry child shouting at their parents that they never want to see Him again. They're not going to do what they say, storming off in disobedience, and the parent just continues to be steadfast and show love and commitment and care for that child. What does this mean? This means there is always hope for us uh, because God has committed Himself to be with us no matter what, and we literally see that in the birth of Jesus. Um, Advent is a reminder to us that we cannot shake God's love and grace even by our biggest sins and failures. That he's with us. And I mean our biggest sins and failures. Ahaz was dealing with nations and families and people and life and death and the course of human history. And God still maintained his gracious commitment to us. Um, We get God with us when we give ourselves to Jesus and we surrender our lives to him. And this is all of grace. It is not by our good 
as our passage proves, um, we cannot mess up God's gracious rescue mission in this world. We cannot stand in the way of it, but we can surrender to it and give our lives to Him. And, and, and when we believe this, that God is with us, that Jesus is our Emmanuel, it becomes one of the greatest comforts in all of life. Um, especially in the face of those really hard external threats that we have no control over. You know, we, we tend to imagine God um, standing over us, sort of with arms crossed, um, evaluating our performance in life. You know, almost like, a, it, like he's a coach with a clipboard taking notes throughout our game. And, and, and post-game, he's going to come over and show us the notes of how we can improve and be better next time. And, and we can just beat ourselves up thinking that God is just evaluating us all the time and we're just coming up short every time and it just wears us out. But Jesus as our Emmanuel, as God with us, means that He came and He took on flesh and has proven that He actually knows what it's like to be a person in this world. He took on real flesh. And when that hits our hearts, it really softens us. I saw an article this week about rage rooms. A rage room is a place where you can go and pay money to go into a room and break things. Uh, you can smash old TVs, plates, mugs, chairs, furniture. Anything is fair game. You basically put on protect, protective glasses and gloves and you go in there and you just go to town. And the, these rage rooms are popping up uh, more and more. And this article said that um, one in four adults surveyed said their stress levels are between 8 and 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. For 25% of adults, they're, they're maxed out on stress. We are so stressed. So much of that stress comes from getting wrapped around the axle about things we cannot control. And into that real stress, Jesus says, I know. I've been there. This world is so hard. It's troubled. And He has compassion on us. He's committed to being with us in the midst of that stress, even to the, to the degree that we don't actually need to be stressed because we can trust Him with whatever that thing is. Jesus is God with us. He came to be with us. He came to be with you. And, and if you haven't given your life to Him before, um, hear this, that He came to be with you. And that maybe you hear yourself in, as one who has decided to try to live independently of God, trusting in human things, rather than living dependently on God and trusting in Him. Maybe this is a day where that changed. Where you actually decide to give your life to Christ. And if that's what you're wrestling through or thinking about this morning, know that we would love to talk with you afterwards. But, but Jesus is the one who is with us. And He comes this Advent season offering His very self to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the good news of Advent that Jesus has come to dwell among us. That Jesus is our Emmanuel, is God with us. Um, that we are not alone. That You're with us. That we're not alone in those hard, scary, uncontrollable things we're facing right now. And that we really can trust in You. We really can trust in those things You've promised to us. And so, Father, we confess that we believe. Would you help our unbelief this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.